You're listening to A Medical Miscellany, a casebook of brilliant discoveries, scientific advances, bizarre cures, and some downright quackery, with Dr. Peter Kay and Sean Aida. Episode 1, The Bogus Doctor, recorded on the cheap in Sean's kitchen. Okay, good morning, Pete. Good morning, Sean. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm a bit cold. It's very crisp out there. It's very, very, very I'm sure chilly. we're going to warm up soon. I'm sure we are. So you have a very, very interesting collection of kind of anecdotes, I suppose, from medical history. What first inspired you to put these together into a medical miscellany? Oh, that's a very interesting question. I have to be honest and say I'm not sure, but all the way through my career, I was interested in the history of things, how it had started, how we knew things. And actually, in in medicine, certainly in my time, there was very little taught of, of history of your subject. You know, if you talk to an architect or a solicitor, they'll say they start where they start. And an architect friend of mine said, well, how do you know where you're going if you don't know where you've come from? Yeah, and that very was, true. That was applied to my, my own thinking. So when, when I came across it, well, how do we know that? And who was the first person to know that? It was very, for me, very intriguing. Yeah. But I think maybe what really uh, motivated me was when I once worked very close, my first job really was with a bogus doctor. A bogus doctor? A bogus doctor. And it was a very big experience. And I think deep down that made me start looking at what is a doctor? What's the difference between somebody who's a doctor and somebody who isn't? And just going back to basics okay. in terms of qualifying and so on. You absolutely have to tell me about the bogus doctor now. You can't bring that one up and uh, yeah, and duck it. It's a big part of well, it seemed very big at the time. He was a chap called Frank Wendon. We knew him as an Australian orthopaedic surgeon. Right. Oh, at least that's what he said he was. Um, and he came in through the back door because I was. It was my first ever job. I mean, I'm not very good at carpentry, never mind carpentry with blood, which is what orthopedic <laughs> surgery is. So, but he was, we had a, a senior registrar those days who um, had rather lost interest in his work. The, the consultants we never saw, they were at Harley Street. So right. The ne- next one down in those days was called a senior registrar who ran the show, really. Yeah. But he'd lost interest because he was what was called time expired in those days. So he knew he wasn't going to become a consultant, and he bought himself a farm, and he'd become rather more interested in a farm, and he wanted to be out at the hospital doing that. So as soon as we got two new keen doctors in, he would train them up to do all sorts of basic, simple orthopaedic surgery. Yeah. Um, you know, well, actually, not so simple. Some of it was quite, quite advanced. We'd never, ever be allowed to do it now. Um, but we'd learn how to, you know, um, re- repair uh, dislocations and right. um, basic fractures and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, he d- he vanished. So most of the time, we just see him in the mornings. And I would go to him every every morning and say, same thing every morning. I'm just not happy with Frank. He doesn't seem to know what he's doing. Yeah. Hasn't he? Seems to have a clue. And, and he would always say the same thing. Don't worry. They don't get much cutting experience in Australia. He'll pick it up. He'll pick it up. That was his, that was his mantra. Why did he think there wasn't much cutting experience well, I think, in Australia? I think he, you know, I don't know. I think he thought that you know Australian surgeons didn't have such a good training as we did. Oh, right. So he, although he was uh, a, a surgical registrar in yeah. theory, he wasn't very good yet. But really, I remember going to the first day I met him. I remember having tea with my wife Karen in the evening, and she and I said, "We've got a new, we've got a new doctor, a new registrar." And she said, "Oh, oh, that's good. Last some help. And what's what's he like?" And I remember saying to her, "Well." I know one thing, he's not a surgeon. He can't even tie surgical knots. And Karen reminded me later that I also said, and the funny thing is he never looks you in the eye, which I'd forgotten. Very suspicious. <laughs> Very suspicious. But, you know, basically he was a psychopath, but like all psychopaths, he had a lot of charm. Yeah. And a big character. And, uh, he, you know, if it was you or me deciding to be a bogus doctor, we'd, we'd choose to be a dermatologist, I think. I could rub cream into people all, uh, all day long and not, yeah. nothing too drastic. But 
to, to be an orthopaedic surgeon with the gall of it. I mean, it's how incredible, on isn't earth it? did yeah. he ever manage to think he could get away with it? Yeah. And I remember the first morning, uh, he was down to do the operations and I was down to assist him. Yeah. And it was nine o'clock and the anaesthetist had put the patient to sleep. I was lying there and he said, come on, where's the surgeon? Where's the surgeon? We cannot wake up all day. He said to me, go and fetch him. So I went to the surgical room where we got changed. Yeah. And there he was in his white wellies, his blue scrubs, his hat, his mask, all ready. And uh, I said, excuse me, Frank, sorry to bother you, but we, we're, just, we're waiting for you a little bit. And he got started effing blind. Oh, really? I'll oh, come when I'm effing ready and all this. And this, that, was, that was his technique for coping. Uh, if anybody crossed him, he'd swear in a loud voice. And of course, your tendency in a hospital when you're surrounded by patients and relatives is to just, okay, just move on. Yeah, okay, fine, fine. Yeah, calm down, calm down. So anyway, we went, I went back to the... I remember going back to the theatre and waiting a bit more. And then suddenly... He blasted in through the black rubber doors, both of them, both doors swinging open, the loud voice saying, right, what have we got here? Pointing at me. And I said, well, well it's, um, it's, uh, we think it's a fracture dislocation. Well, yeah, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So I said, well, well, we normally take an x-ray and, and we normally manipulate and then, and then, and then X, re-x-ray and see, and see how it's doing. Oh, well, haven't you started? Bloody useless. Get going, get going. So he had a great technique. And his other technique, when, because he worked very closely with me whenever we operated, I was his assistant, he'd say to me, you do it and I'll supervise. So oh. I ended up doing all sorts of quite major operations, actually, yeah. looking back on it, which I, which I would never, ever have done. And um, That's very clever, actually. That reminds me of that film with Leonardo DiCaprio of um, uh, Catch Me If You Can, where oh, he yeah. pretends to be the doctor and he, he says to the... Um, the young kind of intern, do you concur? Do you concur? <laughs> the guy sits there going, I don't even know what concur means. No idea. And then he's really cross with himself for not concurring at the end. <laughs> exactly. A similar technique. Yeah, do that, you concur? That's very clever. But also it reminds me of those, um, you know, the sort of cliche consultant who was always bad tempered and grumpy mm. in the 1950s mm. movies like yeah. uh, Doctor in the House. Yeah. So you kind of get away with it, don't you? Because people expect you Almost to be if it's acceptable. very, very um, standoffish and rude, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah, he certainly was. He was certainly very, very brash. Yeah. What, and what happened to him? How did he get... Did he get found out? He, well, he, he was with... I worked him for two weeks, and every morning I'd go to gym and say the same thing. I'm just not happy. I'm not happy. And yeah. every morning he'd say, no, he'll pick it up. He'll pick it up. And funnily enough, we did some hip, hip operations. We did fractured... Femurs and things, which we, which I pin and plated yeah. with him under his supervision, so-called. Wow. And um, but the thing that the thing that caught him out was something that's very, very minor, really, and very common. When you become first become a casualty officer, one of the things you learn about is a thing called pulled elbow in toddlers. And so the story, so, pull, pulled elbow, we call it. It's a it's a dislocation of the radial head from mm-hmm. a, from, a, from a, a circular ligament in the in the elbow joint. Right. So what happens is that the story usually is that you're running for a bus or just and suddenly you jerk the little toddler's arm, usually he's eighteen months old uh, and about yeah. two year old, and they suddenly scream in pain and they can't move their elbow anymore and they hold their elbow across their body and they won't move it. And so if you get that story, you you think you usually think well it's two year old toddler pulled elbow. We'll we'll X-ray it, make sure nothing's broken. Yeah. And then we'll just, um, you can click it back in often by just while you're chatting to them, getting them to relax. You just turn that, you just put, hold their elbow, push against the elbow, twist it quickly so the palm goes upwards and it clicks back in. Why not? So that's the first thing you do. And you learn to do it as a casualty officer. And it's quite pleasing because suddenly the child, the child's back to normal and the parent yeah, thinks, yeah. It's a, think it's a miracle. A miracle, yeah. There aren't many things like that in medicine where you suddenly wave a magic wand and it's, it's better, but that's one of them. Um, so anyway, this ch- child had come in with a pulled elbow 
And of course, as the orthopedic surgeon, he should just have known that. He should have done an x-ray, checked it wasn't fractured, and then just clicked it back in. Yeah. Instead of which, he organised for this child to go to surgery and be opened up. He was about to put, as we say, knife to skin. Okay. He was about to operate, which which I was horrified about. He was actually He was about to do it himself. Yeah, he got his dander up by then, two weeks on. He thought, oh, it's only a, it's only a oh. simple thing. I'll do it myself. Oh. So he was about to cut it into this child's arm. And I said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. You know, have you done an x-ray? No, well, we normally x-ray it first, and then we manipulate, under, and, and now we've got him here, we could, we could manipulate under anaesthetic to get it back in again. So I was explaining to him what, what the management was, um, and he was, you know, effing and blinding and telling mm-hmm. me I was, but he, but he did eventually go with what I said. Okay. Um, but the next morning I said to, I told him, and I said, do you know what he did? He nearly took a child with a pulled elbow and, and, and put, put knife to skin. And I said, right, that's it. That can't yes, be right. That can't crazy. be right. Let's call a halt to this. And it's, the moment he said that, this child vanished, vanished off the scene, mm-hmm. never to be seen again by me. And I'd assumed that the police would sort of hunt him down yeah. and chase him out of the country. And I was told by the chief executive of the hospital not to talk to journalists because I've been wow. working so yeah, closely yeah. with him, which would, again wouldn't happen nowadays. So none of the patients he operated on, or we operated on, ever knew that they weren't properly operated on. Wow. Um, and I just assumed he'd be chased out of the country, but not at all. Three months, was it? No, six months later, I was sitting in the messy hospital chatting about this chap and all the things he'd done, said. And the chap next to me said, Oh, I know him. He came up to. He was with us for three weeks. No. So he'd just gone up the road and carried on. No. And carried on. And there he did a lot of operations himself, and many of them had to be reoperated on. And again, no, the general public never got to know about all this. Oh, my, my. I know, it's amazing. It would never, well, you'd like to think it would never happen nowadays. So anyway, then uh, then he got, again, you know, he got nearly caught, but he he managed to escape. And uh, he fled to Canada. Fled to Canada? Fled to Canada for a while, yeah. Okay. But then a few years later, when he came back into the country, he got, he got arrested. And I, I read a headline a couple of years later in The Guardian, which I hadn't heard of him, and then suddenly I saw this headline in The Guardian saying, bogus doctor goes to prison. Uh, and he got four and a half years for the damage he'd done. Wow, wow, that's mm. amazing. Mm. I was reading about um, somebody uh, who pretended to be a psychiatrist for about 10 years, just in the newspaper the other day, and managed to get away with it completely. You can kind of understand that, you know, yeah, a little bit I of the talking I, cure. I think I but... saw that, and I think I read that he was actually very popular. Yes, absolutely. Much, much respected by patients Highly and respected, colleagues. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very different situation. I suppose they try so hard when they're trying to yes. stay in post. Yeah, yeah. But how yeah. extraordinary, isn't it, that people, what people get away with? The I interesting know. thing that was about Frank was that he, of course, wasn't Australian at all. Okay. It turned out that he was... Uh, I think it was Patrick Murphy, an Irish butcher. Really? And he'd had a he'd had a, a fiance who was a medical student, and I think he got a bit of a penis bonnet about medicine. Ah. Um, but so. Well, as a butcher, I suppose he knew something about cutting. Well, exactly. And on the last day, funny enough, the the last um, day he ever actually operated, he was operating with the consultant called who was um right turned up once every couple of weeks to do a bit, and he'd sort of have literally cucumber sandwiches on the on the ward arranged by sister. Which like another sandwich, Mr. And um, so we, after this chap vanished, we were telling him we were all terribly excited and saying that bloke, that 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 chap, that Frank Frank guy, he was he was a bogus doctor. Yeah, we think he, we think he was bogus. He vanished. You mean that chap that did the bilateral symes amputation with me last week? Oh, we said no. yes, yes, him, him, because bilateral symes amputation is the four foot amputation. You're often in diabetics where the toes have gone black. Right. So he did did one side. Frank London what copied him and did the other side. As he just watched what he did. And, and of course, at the end of it, the surgeon pulls off his gloves and says, sew him up, and does, does the sewing up. And by then, I taught him how to do surgical knots. Right. So, chewing on another cucumber sandwich, says, do you mean that chap I operated last week? Well, I thought he was rather good, he said. I thought he was rather good. <laughs> 
Oh, that's genius. That, that's, that's me thinking, well, that's my training. Well, that's it. So that's, that's basically somebody who is not a doctor, a, gen, you know, a bogus doctor. What does doctor mean? What is a doctor? Well, I mean, it comes from the word, I think, docere, meaning to teach or to explain, a Latin word. And back in the day, doctors didn't, couldn't do very much to treat or cure things, but they did have a role, which was to explain what was happening. Uh-huh. And the big thing then was not diagnosis to say what you got; it was prognosis to say how long it was going to last and how you would or would not get better. Would or would not get better. Right. So that was the role of the doctor. Really, it was much more to teach and explain. It still is, but I think we're much less, much less good at it nowadays than they used to be because nowadays we we crack on with the treatment. We don't tend to explain things enough. I think people are very uh, cautious about making prognoses, aren't they, as well? Yeah, you know, those yeah. things where they tell somebody they've had a couple of days to live and they live for 20 years yes. or something. So, yeah. Yeah. Can, look, can look pretty silly, can't it? You can, I suppose. If you, yeah, I've so. got a story there as well, because I used to be a consultant in a hospice uh, looking after people who are very poorly. Yeah. And um, should I tell that story? Uh, yeah, go right ahead. Um, it, so it's, it's a silly story, really, but I used to... Sometimes we, do, we cover the weekend, so it was on a Saturday morning, I remember, and the nurses said to me, would I go and look at um, a patient called, I think it was called Jack, who they thought might be dying. He had a bit, he sort of, he'd be deep, deep, deeply unconscious through the night. And then we'd, we'd get his, his, his relatives in uh, to, to sit with him fairly urgently. Yeah. So I went over and examined Jack and thought, yeah, I think, I think the, nurses, the nurses usually are right, to be honest. So yeah. I thought, oh, yeah, that, I think you're probably right. So I said, yes, I think he's got, only got a short time to live, uh, maybe you know, over the weekend. Yeah. So anyway, I left them to it, did my ward round, went off full of that for lunch and came in the next morning, Sunday morning, to do my routine ward round for the Sunday. And they said, well, Dr. K, let me tell you, they sat around with glee on their faces, let's tell you, let's tell you what happened to Jack. His family all came in, they all sat around the bed, and as the day wore on, he started to get, come around a little bit. And then, about half past three, he asked for a cup of tea. So he had a, he had a cup of tea in a beaker, and he started to wake up a bit more, and a bit more, then he sat up a bit, and his family were thrilled to bits. And then he suddenly said he wanted to get up. So he got up and he got dressed. And then he said he wanted to go out to a karaoke, which he did. And he ended up, he ended up singing, I did it my way at the karaoke. He said, and you said he was going to die, Dr. K. So we're, so much for you and your prognosis. <laughs> After that, I never tried to, to guess again how long somebody had got. That's very, very funny. <laughs> Clearly, he must have overheard you saying that he was going to die. Yes. He just decided he was going to prove you wrong. That, yeah. That's lovely. That's Damn a great it. story. Thanks. Uh, Pete. And we've actually reached, uh, I think, our uh, 15 minutes, the end of our podcast for today. Oh, that was so, fun. Yeah, absolutely. We will be back with more. So join us in episode two for some patients and some surgeons. <laughs> <laughs>